0: God is good, and all the time, I'm glad that you chose to worship with us and this morning. My name is John, and I'm blessed to be the pastor here, and again, I well, thank you for being here today. We are going to conclude our series entitled, Insomnia, kind of the subtitle there, What Keeps You Up at Night, and I'm going to invite you to find your way to Lamentations, because it may take you a little while to find it, but Lamentations, we're going to be there in just a moment, and uh, while you're finding over there, I want to encourage you to. Uh, I want to encourage you to be here next Sunday. Well, I want to encourage you to be here every Sunday. But the next two Sundays, we're uh, going to be talking about the idea of join the story. And the truth is, God is writing a story all over the world. Sometimes we get stuck in our own little story in our own little world. Um, but if you are familiar with Hallmark, you've been here very long. You know, you realize and you understand that. This church has been a part of God's story all over the world. And so next uh, Sunday, we're going to start our Missions Emphasis Week. And so I want to encourage you to be here next Sunday. Bruce O'Neill, he is going to be preaching for us and telling us his story. And uh, many of you know who he is, but some of you don't know who he is. And Bruce is the founder and the CEO of MANA Worldwide. And uh, MANA Worldwide is an organization that um, uh, has started right at 20 years ago now they're about to celebrate their 20th anniversary and what they do is they partner with local churches and missionaries all over the world they're in over 40 different countries now and have over 200 uh, feeding centers and some orphanages and so they feed kids every day and give the gospel to kids every day and so bruce is going to kind of tell his story of how god really brought him to christ uh, and then also how god is using manna all over the world and the following wednesday and thursday I think it's the tenth and eleventh. Uh, we are going to have. Uh, we're going to invite you at six o'clock to meet us in the family center. We're going to serve Chick Fil A. Can I get an amen for Chick Fil A today? All right. Some free chicken is always good. Some free Christian chicken, as some people say, uh, at uh, on Wednesday and Thursday at six, and then at six thirty we'll kind of have an opportunity to get to meet our missionaries and see what God is doing uh, all over the world. But starts next Sunday with Bruce speaking. So. This thought this morning, insomnia, it's our last week, we've been talking about uh, these words, and interestingly enough, they all start with the letter D, right? We've been talking about when we doubt God, when we are discouraged in our faith. Uh, when we're, Today, we're going to talk about when we're devastated. A few weeks ago, we talked about when the, the disciples felt like they were drowning and And God doesn't care, does anyone care? And kind of the key word we've been talking about is the word faith. And we even gave this definition for us to think through this month about faith, that faith is confident obedience in God's word in spite of the circumstances and or the consequences. And this morning before we end, I'm going to give you a little shorter version of that. I think that is a little more all-encompassing. Now, as you can see here, I have these uh, wonderful coffee mugs. How many of you love some coffee? Okay, how many of you drink coffee all day, every day? How many of you could drink a cup of coffee at 10 o'clock at night and then go straight to bed? Anybody like that? That's me. It doesn't bother me at all and go straight to bed. And within about two minutes, I'm usually gone. But um, we're not going to really talk about coffee this morning. But how many of you have heard this phrase, uh, a coffee cup theology. Anybody ever heard that phrase, coffee cup theology? Uh, Raise your hand. There's about six, maybe eight of you. So there's double that was in the first service that I've heard of this. Uh, So let me just kind of explain it real quick. I think that the coffee cup theology um, is probably an American thing. I think it's an American casual Christianity culture that we have created in America. And, and so let me explain it for a minute. So this this first muck here, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. How many of you have heard that verse <clears throat> before, right? Let me just explain something. This verse is is not about. Uh, the, it's not the verse you quote so you can hit the home run, okay? Or it's not the verse you quote when you, when you haven't studied for your test and you you go in and say, God, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Give me an A. How many of you've prayed that prayer though? Okay, I I mean I did. I tried it. It didn't work. I tried it in baseball. It didn't work either because guess what? The pitcher was praying the same prayer. I can do all things through Christ. who strengthens me. I'm going to strike this guy out and in, in his prayer won, I guess. Uh, but what's the context of that verse? So it's not wrong to, to memorize the, the verse, but the, the truth is there's so much more depth to the verse than the coffee cup presents. It's so much more. The, the, this other one here is uh, you've probably heard, my grace is sufficient. You ever, you ever heard that one? You've quoted it? Uh, probably when you were in a, you know, having a problem, some well-meaning Christian's like, oh, but his grace is sufficient. Have a cup of coffee. Life is good. No problems. When we think about this idea, and I th- again, I think it's mostly an American ideology of what Christianity means, and we think about the, the verses, again, they're printed so nicely on the coffee cup, and the imagery that we get when we quote these verses is, and I think the understanding that most Christians have, it's a lack of understanding, the lack of depth in our theology, is this picture of I'm, I'm sitting, you know, some of you two weeks ago were sitting by the fire. Some of you have your own little personal space heater. Some of you even have your own electric blanket to warm you up, and you drink out of your, my grace is sufficient cup, and God is, he's so good, and that's the imagery we have. There's so much more to this verse, though, than when life is cozy, God is good. Let's think for a moment of the context of these, these two verses. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's Again, it's not about hitting home runs or passing the test. When Paul's writing this, when Paul penned these words, he was in prison. Far from the fireplace and the coffee. And as he's writing from prison, he says in, earlier in the text in Philippians 4, to rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice, writing and penning these from prison, that doesn't seem to add up with my coffee cup theology that everything is always warm and fuzzy and cozy. And Paul says that I've learned in whatever situation I am, this is the context of this verse, that in whatever situation, well, what situation is he in? He's in prison, he's in chains because he was preaching about Jesus. And this doesn't seem to add up to the American theology that if we just pray enough and if we go to church enough and we have enough faith, nothing bad is going to happen to me. Because unfortunately, that's what this coffee cup, American ideology of what Christianity is, teaches us. And I think us as churches often perpetuate that false theology when we come to church every Sunday and what do we say? How are you doing? I'm, doing? I'm doing good. And we've created a culture, even in our churches, where we can't even be transparent and say, you know what, life, Whew, you put the adjective in because you might use a different one than me. It stinks. It's terrible. I hated this week. We don't, we don't typically say that in church, do we? Because we've been taught a really shallow theology of what it means to follow Christ. In fact, every Sunday uh, I come up and I say, "God is good," and all the time. And you know why I say that? You know where the depth of that comes from? I'm I'm sure that I heard that as a kid. I'm sure that at uh, at some point in my life I've heard that in church. But I'll tell you when it really resonated with me. And I think it really kind of shifted, uh, maybe shook me a little bit about uh, out of my coffee cup theology that, that I had just always thought. So I've been blessed in, in my life to travel to a lot of different places, largely in place and due to, to you and this church that have allowed me to go to these places and see what God is doing and joining the story all over the world. But in 2009, I, I went to Africa, and I was excited to go to, to, to Africa. We were supposed to go a year too early, and there was all this craziness that happened there with the elections. And so we went in 2009, and I saw what they lived like. And I don't have to go into detail of that. You guys know that. But it, it, wasn't, it, it didn't bring me to the picture of sitting by the, a nice, warm fire on a cold, snowy Texas day, which very rarely happens, and drinking my freshly ground coffee, bean coffee from Kenya with my hazelnut creamer or whatever you might like. It wasn't the picture I had in my mind of what Christianity really was, and I sat there in church in March of 2009, and it was crazy hot. And I watched people walk from probably long distances in the heat of the day to come to a church and cram into this small little place with no air conditioning mind you and worship for hours and when I heard them get up in their situation in their circumstances and stand up on the stage and you know what they said God is good and it hit different because my theology what I what I felt like I was taught and and maybe in my own ignorance was well Hold on. How how could they think God is good in this moment? And Paul says his grace is sufficient, but what's the context of that verse? The context is Paul is begging and pleading the Lord to heal him. And I think Paul is even having this conversation, or could say argument with God and say, God, I, I'm serving you and, and, and God, here's what I think. I think that if you were to heal me that I could do so much more for you. God, you would be glorified if you would just heal me. I'm not saying that's a wrong idea because I've prayed the same prayer. But the answer Paul gets from the Lord is not what Paul is hoping for. And the Lord says to Paul, No, I'm not going to heal you. But Paul, even though you're sick, my grace is sufficient. And there's so, so there's so much more depth to these biblical truths of scripture when we actually read the Bible. And this morning, our verse that we're going to look at is, uh, his, this, this cup says His mercies are new every morning, Lamentations 3, 23. We just sang about it. If you know the verse, the verse says that we are not consumed because of His mercies. Then it says, because His compassions fail not. Another way to say that is because the, His love never ends, His love never fails. He says, through your mercies we are not consumed, because your compassions they fail not. He says, then your mercies are new every morning, and great is your faithfulness. I'm not here to tell you this morning that his mercies aren't new every morning. I'm just here to tell you that maybe the context in which we perceive God's goodness is a little different than what the Bible says. In other words, when I think when we hear and when we say in our culture, God is good all the time, all the time God is good, that what we're really thinking, at least for me, what we're really thinking is because life is good, therefore God is good. But what Scripture would teach us is that God is good, therefore life is good. In other words, God is good, period, Not based on my circumstances, not based on how I feel. And when we understand the depths of his mercy and his grace and his faithfulness and his love, it does so much more justice to who God is than just quoting a memory verse with a picture by the fire. So let's read the context of his faithfulness, of his mercies. Lamentation chapter number 3. Hopefully you've had time to find it. If not, it's on the screen, so you can pretend like you found it, okay? Lamentations chapter 3, verse 1. Jeremiah the prophet is writing this, and I'll give you a little history of this. Last week, if you were here, we were in Nehemiah. And if you remember when I, remember Nehemiah told the king, I got to go back to Jerusalem, I got to rebuild the walls, My, the city lays in ruin. And I told you, about 150 years before Nehemiah went to the king and asked him to go back and build the walls, Babylon had destroyed the nation of Israel. They had destroyed the temple, Solomon's temple. They had burnt the walls and destroyed the city. So that was 150 years before Nehemiah. Well, this is where we're at this morning. Jeremiah, 150 years before Nehemiah, known as the weeping prophet is writing about this horrific thing that has happened. Babylon has come in, they've destroyed the nation, they've destroyed the city, and they've taken many Jewish people captive. In other words, it's a desperate situation. All right, so as Jeremiah writes, he's going to use first person, like, I am, but he's speaking for the nation. He's also speaking for himself, because he did experience it. So he's saying, I, the prophet Jeremiah, I've experienced this, but I'm also speaking on behalf of the nation. So, verse one: I am the man who has seen affliction. By the rod of his wrath, he has led me; uh, he has led me and made me walk in darkness and not in light. Notice something very important here. Jeremiah's—he's he, using the word we see. He. Well, who is he that he's speaking of? It's God. This is going to maybe twist our thinking a little bit. God has brought the destruction on the nation because of their sin. So this heaviness that Jeremiah is experiencing is brought on him through Nebuchadnezzar by God. He has led me and walked me into darkness and not in light. Verse 3, surely he has turned his hand against me time and time again throughout the day. He has aged my flesh and my skin and broken my bones. He has besieged and surrounded me with bitterness and woe. He has set me in dark places like the dead of long ago. He has hedged me in so that I cannot go out. He made, me, uh, he made my chain heavy even when I cry and shout. He shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with hewn stone. He has made my past crooked. He has been to me a bear lying in wait like a lion in ambush. He's turned, uh, turned aside my ways and torn me in pieces he has made me desolate. He has bent his bow. He has set me or set up as a, set me up. Excuse me, as a target for the arrow. He has caused the arrows of his quiver to pierce my loins. Doesn't give me the imagery of sipping coffee by the fire, does it? You? Well, let's keep reading. And you can feel the heaviness. Verse fourteen. I have become the ridicule of my people their taunting song all the day. He has filled me with bitterness. He has made me drink wormwood. He has also broken my teeth with gravel and covered me with ashes. You moved my soul far from peace. I have forgotten prosperity. And I said, my strength and my hope have perished from the Lord. Remember my affliction in roaming the wormwood and the gall. My soul still remembers and it sinks within me. The prophet of God, Jeremiah, speaking of his own emotions, but speaking on behalf of the nation of Israel, displaying their emotions. God, I'm devastated. God, you're not hearing my prayers god i'm doubting you even exist god i've lost all hope it's heavy isn't it but i, I wonder this morning if we could be transparent enough you know i i felt that way before i've had moments in my life and and, and i'll be completely transparent with you God has saved me from a lot. And if I were to compare my story to a lot of people's story in the room, your story is a lot more harsh than mine. Some of you have suffered to a greater greater degree than I ever have. But to the degree that I have suffered or God has not answered my prayers, I've had moments like Jeremiah. God. I've lost all hope. And what happens when we don't understand the depths of God's word, when we, when we just see the verse on the coffee cup, what it leads us to believe is that when life is good, God is good. But when life is not good, when, when life hits, when you get that diagnosis, when you get served the divorce papers, when your kids leave then what do we do because it seems like god's not good anymore and i don't feel his presence i want to read for you verse 17 and 18 again and in a paraphrase it's called the message translation it's a paraphrase of these two verses and, and I think it will help us even a little more depth to what this is saying. Look, look, look what it says. It's on the screen. Jeremiah, I gave up on life altogether. I've forgotten what the good life is like. I said to myself, you ever talk to yourself? He you said, this is it. I'm finished. God is a lost cause. And unfortunately, in our coffee cup theology, our American ideology of what Christianity is, we have a hard time realizing. You you know, we, we kind of perpetuate this idea, well, if you just have enough faith, God is good all the time. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. And when life hits, if that is the depth of our theology, then we're going to respond just like Jeremiah did. It's interesting, though, because in verse 22 and 23, we, I mean, we have the coffee cup. We know what the verse says, right? It says, through your mercies, I'm not consumed. Through your mercies, I'm not consumed. And, and even the nation of Israel, they weren't consumed because God was merciful. It says, through your mercies, I'm not consumed because your compassion's fail not. In fact, your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And it doesn't seem like this verse fits in the context of what we just read, does it? So how do we get from verse 20 where he says all hope is gone to verse 22 and 23 where he says your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. How do we get from that point To this point, because that's important, didn't it? If we can understand that even when life, you put your adjective in, even when life is no good, God is still good. And we can say, because you are faithful, your mercies are new every morning. What a great truth of scripture. Because I need mercy today. Do you need mercy today? And and you know what I'm going to need tomorrow? I'm going to need me a little more mercy. And guess what's going to be available tomorrow? Mercy. But how do we get from here to there? Look at verse number 21. Jeremiah says, This I recall to my mind, and therefore I hope. Well, what does he... I think it's important to know what he's calling to his mind, don't, don't you? If if it's going to change his perspective, if, if like Stefan said, she's going to sit down and make a choice. I can I can sit and continue to worry and think of all the what-ifs, or I can make a choice, like Paul said in Philippians 4, I make a choice to rejoice because I can be content in my circumstances. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, because guess what? Even though I'm not healed, his His mercies, His grace is sufficient. Here's an interesting thought about the sufficiency of God's grace. As Paul asks to be healed and God says, no, but my grace is sufficient. Do you realize we will never completely understand the sufficiency of God's grace without struggle? And it's when we go through struggle, it's when we go through hurt, it's when we go through moments that Jeremiah is describing here, I'm so desperate, I've lost hope. In verse 21, this I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. What is is he recalling to his mind? Simply what he's recalling to his mind is the character of God. You see, Hebrews tells us faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The word substance there is very important. Faith is the it's the foundation, it's the substance, it's what I stand on. And here's what we learn about what Jeremiah is trying to teach us, is that my faith, my faith, the substance of my faith has to be in the character of God. It cannot be in the circumstances of my life. And for us as Americans with our coffee cup theology, our faith for the most part, the substance of our faith tends to be in the circumstances of our life. And the great news this morning is that even when life is bad, God is still good. And so Jeremiah says, I'm going I'm to rest in the character of God. My, my faith, my substance is going to be in the character of who God is, not in my circumstances. Because... What is God and who is God? What is the character of God? And then he lists it. It's through his mercies that I'm not consumed. God is a merciful God. Can you say amen to that? It's because his compassions fail not. It's because of his unfailing love that I can have hope. I can have faith. And, and also, not only is his, his mercy good and his love never failing, but his mercies are new every morning. And he is faithful. And that's why Paul said, even if I'm not faithful, even if I'm faithless, God is faithful. Because he cannot deny himself. So this morning, I don't know what you're struggling with, but I want to encourage you is that the substance of your faith has to be in the character of God. It cannot be in the circumstances of your life. Even when life is difficult, God is good. If you want to read the rest of the story or uh, more of the context, it, it's dark. Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 1, it just, the, the, the city is desolate, it's lonely. And in chapter 2 and verse 20, it's it's probably the darkest verse in the whole chapter. I'll let you read it this afternoon. But I'm thankful that that Jeremiah made a decision. This, I'm going to recall. Therefore, I will have hope that God is merciful. In fact, God proved the God, God revealed the extent of his love to us, didn't he? And that's why Paul would write, God demonstrated, God proved his love toward us that even while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And in Ephesians, he says, uh, turn to Ephesians chapter number two. One of my, one of my favorite verses, and, and it especially ties this in together as this topic of the, the mercy of God, the unfailing love of God. We see the same thing here in Ephesians chapter number two. Verse number four, but God, those those are two great words, but God, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Doesn't it sound pretty familiar to, to what Jeremiah wrote? Because of his mercies, or it's through his mercies I'm not consumed. Doesn't that sound a lot like verse four? But God who's rich in his mercy, and then it says, in, in, in our text in Lamentations, it says, because his compassions fail not. We'll look in our verse here in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, because of his great love with which he loved us. And let's look at verse 8. Ephesians 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. You see, the mercy of God, the love of God, available to anyone who wants to call on him. And maybe this morning as, as you sit through this message and you hear, I, 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 want, I want the mercy of God, I, I want the love of God, I want the faithfulness of God, can I, can I tell you that the, these verses speak to those who have a relationship with God? If you're a follower of Jesus, what what Jesus wants you to understand today is that even though life is difficult, God is good. And His mercies never fail. His compassions never fail. But it is a promise to those who've made a decision decision to follow Christ. If you have not made the decision to follow Christ, can I challenge you, encourage you, plead with you? Do, Do it now. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord, shall be saved. What does that mean? That means you will receive his mercy, his love, and his faithfulness. I want everybody to close your eyes for a moment this morning. I'm going to ask Stefan and the team to, to come, and they're going to lead us in a last song of worship this morning. But as, uh, as we take a moment this morning, I want you to just process what you've heard And maybe this morning you would say, you know what? I, I don't understand the mercy of God. I don't understand the love of God. I, I don't have a relationship with God. Can I encourage you right now in this moment? You, you heard the testament of these kids. They, they gave you the gospel. They said they admitted that they were sinners. They believed that Jesus died, that he was buried, that he came back to life. And, and then they committed their life to him. They just simply said, I'm deciding to follow Jesus. And I'm going to encourage you right now in this moment if, if you've never done that. Give your life to Christ. And I would challenge you, if you make that decision right here where you're at, or maybe you're online this morning, that you would tell somebody about it. For for the rest of us in the room this morning, maybe this morning, this week, like Stefan already said, your week was kind of crazy. And can I tell you, this I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. Through his mercies I was not consumed. Because his compassions they fail not. His mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. God I come before you today and I ask this morning that as we close our service out in in worship of you through song Lord I, I know there's there's got to be people in the room today who have a heaviness. And as we've talked about the last few weeks, maybe doubting, discouraged, feel like they're drowning, they're desperate, they're in despair, they're desolate. And Lord, I pray that as you promised Paul, even though the circumstances may be bad, your grace is always sufficient. It may we experience and feel and understand the depths of your mercy and your grace and your love today. I'm going to ask you to stand with me this morning as we continue through worship through song. You're welcome to come forward and pray, or if you want to just kneel at your, your pew, you can do that. But let's just, let's talk to the Lord through song today.